Well, hello, terrible warriors. Welcome back. I know you feel like we were just here last week, but that episode we released, the end of our seventh season with the Spire, was recorded back in March. So for me, it has been a while since I've had a chance to speak to you, and it is wonderful to be back. My name, of course, is Justin Eacock, and this is our first episode in our eighth season. Now, if you have followed us on Patreon or Twitter and uh, you listened to the very end of last week's episode, you will know know that this season is going to be a little bit different than normal Terrible Warrior Fair. We are not going to be playing games as an actual play podcast. We're going to be putting that on pause right now uh, because of many reasons that involve not being able to get people together, a lack of resources, it doesn't matter. What matters is I want to see making new episodes for you. So if you want to know why we're changing things around, go check it out on Patreon. It's a free public post. You don't have to be a supporter if you don't want to, uh, but you can find out the back story on why we're doing that. Season eight of Terrible Warriors is going to be a series of little experiments. We're going to be trying out different formats. And the first format that you have seen in this episode title is called Session Zero. And one of the things I have always loved doing on Terrible Warriors that we very rarely actually put on the podcast is sitting around with my players and making characters and getting ready for the episode and getting excited about the characters we have made. It's a process that is a little time consuming. And so because we want to get to the story, we usually edit that part out. And that's true for a lot of actual play podcasts. Uh, They either do it at the very beginning and then never again, or if they play like us multiple games, they usually cut that entire process out or leave it as a Patreon bonus reward or something. So I wanted to take a moment using Using this new show we're calling Session Zero to examine character creation and examine what makes us excited to play these games. For many people, this is maybe the only part of the game they'll actually ever play. Only play in a proper session, uh, maybe only a handful of them. And uh, and yet you'll make characters in almost all of them. And so it's a, it's a thing that Uh, everyone gets excited about. So that, in a nutshell, is what Session Zero is going to be all about. We are going to be making characters for you. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you're going to be able to get access to these character sheets. And if you're part of our private game, we'll play games with these pre-generated characters. We're going to create characters in different games in each Session Zero episode. We're going to do them in advance because we don't have time to do them on tape. We tried that already. It's a a nightmare. Uh, We are going to make these characters and we're... You know what? The best way to call it is like a tabletop RPG book club. We are going to make our characters and then present them in the same way that you would read a book and you would talk about each chapter with your book club. And uh, and I got this idea because one of the podcasts I've been editing this past year, Inks and Issues, is a comic book book club. And I went, that format could work for RPGs. But instead of reading the book, we'll be making their characters. So all of us, the people I'm about to introduce to you, have made characters in advance in this game that we're going to be presenting today. And in our next Session Zero episode, we will play a different game with different characters. We'll present the characters we have made to you, and then we'll have a little freeform discussion on what this character generation process was like. Was Did the mechanics make sense? Uh, was it fun to do? Do I feel invested in this character? Do I want to see what happens? And most importantly, would I want to keep playing this game? Uh, and that's uh, a little bit of an examination we're going to do, something that we've never had an opportunity to really do a dive into on Terrible Warriors. And I've got some ideas for other formats that I'm not ready to announce yet because I haven't recorded them yet. Uh, but stay tuned through this season of season eight as we're going to try doing, we're going to orbit 
actual plays. We're going to talk about the games and the hobbies and maybe other podcasts that are doing this, uh, but uh, we will not be playing games for, for this season. And then in season nine, I hope to be able to return to that. So for now, let me introduce you my roundtable today, joining us in uh, uh, our character creation study here on Session Zero. Uh, starting at my left, your right, we have returning from our Star Trek Adventures Living campaign. Uh, welcome back to the show, one Mr. Velvet Duke. Thank you. Today is a good day to play. Uh, I am very happy to be here. I'm with the Dandies, Overdude, and numerous other improv troops, and I also do musical improv. But here, here I am in the spirit and the moment of kapla, of being a Klingon through and through. And what's the name of the character you're presenting today? I am Kevon, son of Jelsa, of the House of Klein. Hmm. I am inclined to know more about the House of Klein. <laughs> they say a game is a game best played in the cold. And it is very <laughs> cold in my apartment. Uh, oh, I, I'm not very tolerant of how cold it is there. Turn up the heat. Right next to Velvet is a newcomer to our show, but not a newcomer to my heart. I have spent most of this past year learning that they're a really cool person. Uh, welcome, Jordan. Hello, that's me. That's you. I paid, I paid Justin to lie about me. Mm -hmm, that's uh, true. And, and say that I'm a good it's person. It's covering a portion of my rent. Yeah. yeah it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's good to be here. Now, you're new to Terrible Warriors, but you're not new to tabletop and podcasts and streamings. Correct. Yeah, I, um, I play a lot of D&D, &D and I edit a lot of podcasts, mostly Magic Gathering content. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be part of this and it's i'm excited for my character <laughs> and most importantly when i asked if you wanted to be here on the show you said yes and that's exactly. why we're here <laughs> yeah <laughs> and who is your character that you'll be presenting to us so my character uh, her name is across trunsult across trunsult and uh and then finally rounding out our table from really the classic era, I want to say the golden age era of Terrible Warriors, coming back to this table. Uh, once again, I asked if she wanted to join me, and they said yes. Welcome back, Cassie! Hey, that's me. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. How, how, how is it going with you? It has been a while since we've had you on Terrible Warriors. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Uh, I'm still making games. Uh, I'm still playing games. Uh, I've been doing a whole crapload more tabletop stuff now that uh, I have a family campaign that my husband is running for myself. And they're all trapped there with you and they can't escape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've also been learning how to make dice. Mm -hmm. So that's been exciting. If you want to follow along with my learnings on how to make dice... Uh, at the, yeah. you can you can find the socials for that. It's uh, D twenty loves dice on all the th the the three big ones: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Maybe one day there's a future where there will be little terrible warrior dice made by that, Cassie sitting on my know, table. That's the dream. That's the dream. I I want to be able to make cool custom dice for my my favorite peoples and teams. I so. just had this thought of a gelatinous cube D six dice. It's got mm -hmm. tiny little skulls inside of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> For sure. Uh, it's, it's wonderful back uh, to have you back here, Cassie. What, what's the name of your character that you're presenting to us today? My character is named Groff the Provider. 
Gruff, the provider. And I didn't mention mine. Mine that I'll be bringing is Cars, son of Lars. Now, (laughs) our characters all have one thing in common. They all sound like Klingons from Star Trek. Well, that's because they're all Klingons from Star Trek. (laughs) We have played Star Trek Adventures on Terrible Warriors. So there is a huge living campaign. You can go to TerribleWarriors.com right now. Go to past campaigns. You can find it. The playlist is available for you. I loved it. I love how it began and ended. But one of the very first rules I said is you couldn't play a Klingon because it didn't make sense at the timeline that we were playing. And there's only one Klingon in Starfleet. And the rules weren't really there to really flesh out playing a Klingon. And I felt playing a Klingon in Star Trek Adventures would kind of break the spirit of the game because they don't... (laughs) want to follow any of the rules of Starfleet. Well, uh, last October, Modiphius released the Klingon Core rulebook. It's still Star Trek Adventures, but unlike uh, the, the old, the other supplemental books that they've put out for the Beta Quadrant and for the Command Division and all this other stuff, uh, the Klingon Core rulebook is a standalone book for Star Trek Adventures. You do not need to own any of the other Star Trek books uh, for Star Trek Adventures, even the original uh, Core rules, because the Klingon Core rulebook, as it sounds like, is the only book you need. So if you just want to play Klingons and you don't want to worry about being hoity-toity, good-for-nothing Starfleet boy scouts uh you can uh, you can pick that book up so i had a look at the klingon core book and i thought for session zero for our first episode i at least already know star trek adventures so i already know this character creation process and i was curious to see how it was different and how it was adapted to fit with the klingons and we never really broke down uh what it was like to make characters on star trek adventures there was one episode where i made a character with our with our first commander uh or our first officer uh and uh we put that out there but we didn't really break down like what it was like and so uh, I've had Velvet, Jordan, and Cassie make Klingon characters in advance along with myself, and we are each going to introduce you to them. And then after that, uh, we will open the table up and we'll talk about what it's like making characters in Star Trek Adventures or in the Klingon core rulebook, as is this case, uh, because they use a really uh, interesting way of making characters. They call the life path creation process, which is very different from making a character in Dungeons & Dragons, for example, where rather than just making numbers and filling out sheets and doing a point by system, you're going through their origin story and finding out where they're from, how they were raised, what they've excelled at, what they have failed at. And during that, as you read through the flavor text and you answer questions, you're also adding numbers to your attributes and your different statistics that at the end of it, you have a filled out character sheet, but you also have a filled out backstory, which at the end of the day, even if you're playing Klingons or if you're playing Starfleet officers, Star Trek is about the people that are in that show, not necessarily about where they're going. Uh, it's it's more introspective than that. So you do need to know who these characters are. And I feel like, spoiler alert, I love the life path creation process, and it really gives you a motivation for the characters. But I'll f- wait to find out what the rest of my table thinks about that after we get to meet our four characters today. Who would like to go first? <laughs> I open the table up to any volunteer who has the bravery and the pride and the honor to be the first to present themselves to the glory of the Empire. Okay. I was going to say you could roll a d4. 
Yeah. We could roll a d4. That's true. Okay, so I I've would got, like that. Yeah. I'm a one. Yeah. I'm a one. Uh, Velvet's a two in order of appearance. I'm a one. Velvet's a two. Jordan is a three, and Cassie is a four. And uh, we're actually using uh, playroll.com to connect today and keep track of all our characters. If you've been following me on Twitter or, or Terrible Warriors on Twitter, I've shared the template for for the klingons that'll also be in the show notes hell why not and uh, on, on patreon at patreon.com slash terrible warriors so you can uh you can make these characters in i love roll and i really hope to keep using this this uh this place to to play our games anyway i've got my d4 open one two three four rolling it's a three three that's, all right that's me that, that's jordan all right jordan all right. yeah jordan okay so should we should we do these in character or should I explain? I allow that to be entirely up to your level of comfort. If you would like to do it in character, by all means, introduce us to Ekrost in character. If you would just like to tell me who this character is, it is up to you. But the floor is yours. I would love to do it in character. <clears throat> <laughs> My name is Ekros Trunsolt. I was born where all the important Klingon are born. The core worlds. Though I was born in the core worlds and very, very proud of the motherland, my, my family are a series of merchants. So though I, I call that my home, I cannot say that I spent too, too long on, on the motherlands. That's where I came to believe that if you work hard, you'll earn yourself a good life, and you should be reaping the benefits of the life that you sow. Now, I unfortunately came upon a slight, um, let's say, misfortune in my younger years. Uh, though I grew up with high aspirations. I ended up working just merely as a as a custodian. And you know, I am a firm believer that any any sort of work you should be putting your absolute 100% into it at all times. So I studied and I worked to be the best custodian that I could be, cleaning the ships as quickly as I could, making sure that everything is tip-top shape. Now, I am a bit more experienced of a adventurer, let's let's call that. Uh, so when I was a little bit younger, I was overhearing a, a diplomatic event going on. Now, my superior, he was, com for lack of a better term, he was completely gauche going against all political, not even political, even just common decency for another race. So when the meeting ended, I pulled the diplomat aside, had a few pleasantries amongst them, and I personally made sure that, well, not to sound cocky, but I think I may have stopped a war. That brought me honor and glory that led me from raising, from being a custodian to what I was truly meant to be, which is an officer of my ship. 
though that has earned me the ire of not only my former custodial colleagues, which they believe that I am some sort of betrayer of sorts, and, but also the other officers who believe that, I mean, just one, one little event could, could change my life so much. And yeah, that's my girl. <laughs> you've never enjoyed goodwill hunting until you've enjoyed it in the original Klingon. <laughs> uh, I I love that. This whole I have a, from uh, literal rags to glorious riches. You uh, uh, growing up in the in the home world of Kronos is the name of the Klingon home world, and you. Uh, yeah, I, I I love this. This whole you had to stand up to a superior officer, and of course, I mean it's it's the rules of attrition. If you kill them in combat, you become them, uh, right? Like it's like Highlander rules, and so exactly. <laughs> like I'm in charge now. I am the captain. Uh, so that's that's Ekrost. Uh, so you sound like you're an ambitious warrior who mm-hmm. uh, you uh, you understand the process, uh, the the importance of keeping things clean, but also cleaning things up. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, both both hygienically and politically and while you know it it may not always be glory to avoid war sometimes those are necessary a senseless war where lives are needlessly lost is best to be avoided so that our strong and proud warriors can fight the next glorious battle at full strength Mm -hmm. Uh, and so yeah you uh uh looking at the uh at this i see your uh uh, you've got fitness and presence and reason. Uh, your highest stats were in command and security. So mm-hmm. on another ship, you would either be, I think you would make a good first officer. You keep the captain in check because the last captain you killed. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, or, uh, or, or chief of security as well, right? Keep making sure everyone is staying clean. And, and as chief of security, you would both be in charge of keeping the senior staff in check while also keeping making sure that the custodians aren't planning mutiny against you. Uh, exactly <laughs> and uh, and they will respect you in time and if don't they will be vented into space because they're looking sus exactly yeah and i i really like this character um not to go into it too much because i'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit at the end but um i completely used the uh the rolling chart for the fun and it worked out to like a yeah. really cool character this time yeah in some games where you can let things be completely up to dice rolls you can get the odd character that makes no sense at all like it's just it looks like a mad lib um but i find rolling the dice in this no matter what you get you get a a a a connect the dots makes sense character and uh yeah, so they 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 grew up as a uh, they grew up in the home world. They moved on with merchants, which got them traveling. Uh, but being from a commoner house and not from one of the great houses, it's a lot harder to get into the Klingon Defense Force. So you just ended up becoming a space janitor, and then uh, and then through opportunity, you're kind of like Chief O'Brien, but in the Klingon side of things, where you've just started at the very bottom and then worked your way up to being uh, an inter- an interesting and um, uh, irreplaceable integral. role on the ship. Yeah, integral. That's what I was looking for. So, uh, shall I roll the dice again to see who goes next? Yes, please. Do it. It's a four. It me. So I'm we have we've found out who's cleaning up, and now we're going to find out who's making the mess. It's me. 
I am the one who makes the mess. I'm the one who directs the mess because it is I, Groff the Provider. <laughs> Groff the Provider is 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 a chef. Groff the Provider makes the food for for the crew, for the warriors. Groff the Provider, Every- I feel like it's like he stands <laughs> like a or is it Groff a, a he or she? Or it's like well, what what are what are Groff's preferred pronouns? Oh, he him. He him. So he, I feel like yes. Groff walks in like like the Santa Claus pose, hands on belly, smacking the belly, going ha 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 with like a big belly laugh. Uh, yeah. that you can hear echoing down the hallways. Yeah, he's very large, very imposing. Uh, he absolutely commands a room. He's got a very big boisterous voice. Uh, he he's he's the one that provides the the meals. And is also the one that uh, if if there if there are fights during mealtime, he's the one that makes sure there are the right fights. <laughs> <laughs> fights fights are okay, just as long as they make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because fights happen on a Klingon <laughs> ship, right? Like that's just uh, how absolutely. people get promoted. And it, it, it is just part of, of life. We, you know, they have to work off their steam somehow, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a valid form of communication. But yes. there are times where maybe it is best left up to be adjudicated or till, you know, for later. You don't want to fight interrupting another fight, right? Like, like sorry, one at a time, <laughs> take a number, right? You've got to... Yeah. There needs to be decorum, and there is protocol about this. And so... Uh, yeah. You're, he's, he's the mess hall referee. Yeah, you're the bartender, right? Like yeah. everyone, everyone in the bar might be fighting, but the bartender's sitting behind the bar, making sure that they're also not breaking the the blood wine cask in the process. Yes, because when the fight is over, we're all gonna need to have some blood wine to yeah. like you know work it through. Because we're all gonna be best friends tonight when this is done, and we start singing songs about it. Mm-hmm. Does Groff it, sing? Uh, gr- gr- Groff can. Carry like I'm thinking, like the Italian chef on that, like yeah. on, 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 oh on the public <laughs> on, on, on the public cable channels, right? Who's like cooking yeah. out like great old Klingon operas? Oh, 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 yeah. oh they're making their like food. the one on DS9. Absolutely. Yeah, DS9, exactly. Oh, exactly like yeah. that. The opera chef from Deep Space Nine. To, to Groff, it doesn't exactly matter whether or not he can sing. He's just gonna do it anyway. Oh yeah, no, as, it's kind of like the way my granddad. As he can. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was one For of the sure. strongest memories of my granddad was just being in the car. He's always singing. He would go into a pub and he would always yeah, he would walk in as a stranger. And by the time he walks out, everyone in the pub is singing along with him. And, that's fantastic. Uh, that sounds like Groff. Groff mm-hmm. is both a provider of food, but also of the good times. Mm-hmm. Right. Singing of their glory. Kind of like the ship bard. Yeah. <laughs> in that. A right? little bit. But and, in this case, the bard is also the chef. Who's also the chef. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were joking ahead of time. Uh, I told you that there is a uh, there is a cat race in Star Trek called the Kaitans or the Katians. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce. They're seen twice ever, only in the movies. One of them, mm-hmm. is, I think, is like the president of the Federation at one point. Um, but you could have one of those perhaps on your ship serving in your in your kitchen. And that way you also have the monster hunter cat chef. Oh yeah, no. This, canonically, I'm, I'm, absolutely. This this kind of thing is like you know, if you're playing mon- if you play Monster Hunter, or if you don't play Monster Hunter, either way, there there's th- this is definitely inspired by uh, the Meowskular Chef a little bit. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, because that Meowskular chef will kick your ass oh, if you look would, at it the wrong way. Like, this guy is oh, not yeah. a pushover. Groff is, Groff is friendly, but yeah. Groff also has a daring of 10, a presence of 12, command 5, security 3. Yeah. This character cannot be pushed over. Groff no. appears to be everyone's favorite uncle. But if you go against Groff or Groff's crew... Yeah, oh, he'll fuck you up. Groff will break you. <laughs> <laughs> and you will never recover. He nope. will destroy you, your your home, your cling, your house, your history. You will be stricken from the records of Stovacor <laughs> will not accept you. Uh, it will be, yeah. Yeah. I love Groff. I think Groff is, uh, Groff was the example we were talking earlier of... I, one worry I had with playing Klingons in a Star Trek game is everyone who wants to would would I find lean towards being very serious, being this like kind of like an edgelord character, just being all eh, heavy metal, grim dark. Whereas uh, Groff is a great example of you know characters that are Klingon in Star Trek are also quite jovial. Really, only Worf is the serious one. <laughs> <laughs> that you ever see yeah. every other character you meet especially in Deep space nine they're always like hey welcome bring it in real hard big hugs and like big songs and big laughs and big fights and everything's big with the klingons but that also means their emotions are bigger and boisterous and there's there's a great amount of there's so much to celebrate when you're a Klingon. Everything's a celebration. Even the defeats are a celebration. Uh, you know, everything is just bigger and louder. And I think Groff uh, provides that for this crew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Velvet, it's just you and I. I'll all roll right. the dice one more time. Uh, even numbers to me, odd numbers to you. Sounds good. Okay. Odd number. All right. It's all mine. I am, uh, so actually I'm going to give you this caveat beforehand. So I created, I developed this this uh, life path and then I went back and created a house and I added some numbers. So my numbers may be a bit high as a result, but uh, but the shape of it is still kind of, I, I think, uh, lends to what I was trying to yeah, go for. I also even did the house path and yeah. uh, I did notice when you're doing that, it asks that you skip stage two and three. Uh, mm. So that the numbers that you would get from those stages, you earn instead through the house. Right. So that's right. one reason. But that's fine. That, those are finishing yeah. policy. And, and I, I mean, I know we're not actually going to play this through it at any point, but I, for myself, I used to play roll note section just to note where I got some of those bonus numbers from if I had to work backward Perfect. through it uh, so that I could figure it out. So, okay. All of that. Who, it's numeracy. Who cares? I am Kevin. Son of Jelsa, House of Klein. I like that it's just uh, pronounced Kevin, but it's spelled K E apostrophe V O N. Hey, look. Fantastic. I also was having fun with this because my I'm really Kevin Klein. That's really that that was Yeah, Kevin of Klein. <laughs> Kevin of Klein. Uh my, I, I was born on Kronos, of course, uh, to the House of Klein, which is has great renown, even if it's not necessarily a great house. There are two things that it is known for. The first is it is a house of artisans. We are known for making some of the great portraitures of the most wondrous, glorious warriors 
that have ever been seen. Our portraiture of Kales is, uh, is the definitive version, but we're also known for our propulsion systems. But I, Kevin, am not known for anything. I'm young, I'm done. I, I want to be known for something. I need to get out from the shadow of my house. I need to get up on the shit. I need to earn my glory. And as it turns out, I got an opportunity to join the IKS Porthos, uh, which is a D7 vessel uh, battle cruiser. It's wondrous because the captain of that ship was there getting his portrait done. And I happened to rattle off just some, you know, what everybody should know about propulsion systems of the D7. And uh, so I, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, I'm an edgelord. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine I, if you're self-aware. I'm very self-aware of this. Uh, I rattled this off uh, in the right. Basically, I put my words in the right ear to get myself off the planet and onto a ship. It wasn't going to happen to me from our artisan house. Uh, once I was there, though, uh, because I was so keen, I was so eager, uh, that bristled uh, quite a few backs, and I, I got in a few fights. Most of them weren't notable. The one that was happened to be with a helmsman who uh, took umbrage with, uh, you know, my my caricatures uh, of him. And, oh, and maybe the fact that I hacked the helm control to play the song in the voice of his father about him having a glass jaw. And uh, so every time he touched a button, this song would sing. And... Uh, you know, that that's unfortunate, I guess. It, it became a little bit annoying for the captain, but what truly changed my life was the fact that this helmsman actually was trying to use the ship to start a war with the Romulans. And it was the frustration of my song that just put him on edge enough that he let that slip. And of course, as the person who had initiated this challenge with my, uh, my uh, prank, I had an opportunity to gain his rank. And I did. Now I'm at the helm. Uh, once I learn how to uh, figure out how to deprogram the song, because that's still happening. We're still on a collision course with the ship, but uh, at least for now, I have the title. Uh, so for me, in terms of the, the life path, I, uh, because we've played this system before, and I've role-played a, a numerous uh, other systems, I had in my mind that I wanted to play somebody young and green and unlike the other characters that I've played, I've played command, I've played uh, science, I've played healer, I've played like I've played those things. So I wanted to play somebody who hadn't done those things. So I found the light, I found it a, a little bit interesting and I had to work through how do I shape this character from I want to play this and the random roles that I'm doing are leading away from that and I had to incorporate that. So I love the life path system as well. It made me had to do that little bit extra work of earning the direction that I was trying to make happen against the random roles. And of course, there's there's nothing that said I had to go the role path, but I, I wanted to honor both of those things. So that's where the idea of him being an artisan slash propulsion, because when I created the, the house, they have a, a family secret in propulsion systems. So I'm like, okay, so he knows things. I, I'd actually written that part about knowing, rattling off the propulsion system of the cruiser before I created the house. So I went, okay. So 
it is coming together. Yes. yes. Despite and, and just me like, feeling our ship is a ship of secrets. My character also yeah. has a family secret, uh, oh. but not in propulsion, which is wonderful. Good. 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 So because I, we might have different secrets. <laughs> you stole our I, secrets. The fact that I gave that secret away, it's 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 a purposely not uh, not secret secret. Uh, we use it as part of our badge. It's actually on our Baldrick. <laughs> oh, okay. So you just display it like on an LED screen. So I was also realizing we, we weren't going over our values. So when I'm done my character, I will just go one more time because some of our values are very good. And I wanted to mm. go through in uh, Star Trek Adventures, mm-hmm. you get um, uh, kind of like in the way that fate lets you fill in um, these very open-ended things rather than just choosing talents, which is like choosing feats in Dungeons and Dragons. Values are very uh, up to you. They are they represent worldviews that you can use in the game uh, to uh, activate determination points uh, and also is the only way you level up. Uh, although in Klingon core rule book, um, there, another way to level up now is through uh, a new reputation and shame mechanic that they've introduced that you can bring over to your Starfleet game as well. They just change the rules around from uh, instead of glory and shame, you change it to um, uh, uh, commendation and um, uh, whatever the other one is, uh, there'll be there'll be a, a, a something in your record. Um, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter, but uh, but but it can work. But that's also a, a, a new way to level up. Uh, originally in Star Trek Adventures, the only way to level up your character would be by challenging or using one of your four values uh, as you play through. Uh, so it forces you to look inward to what your character is and what's important to your character and uh, either use them or challenge them, um, which is something I really enjoyed. And I, and I have noticed that that we've all done a, a wonderful job picking out some uh, really fun values to use. Is there anything left with Kevin, son of Jelsa of the House of Klein, that you would like to share with us? Uh, no, I think the, those are the, uh, I think the life path, the idea that, uh, because I randomly picked how I got one of my focuses, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, how does this fit into this character? Like what, what the learning is and yeah. that's how I'm treating it. It's like, then you oh, reverse engineer it. Right. But so when you talk about values that we'll get, when we get into it, that's actually how I came up with one of them. It's like life lesson. Yeah, you won, but what you know now what yeah and uh so so that was like oh i can really lean into that so that was similar to me my one of my values i chose as one of the options for the for the house i made and then Mm -hmm. from that i was like okay well if this is one of my values and the rest are all gonna have to at least align with that in some way uh and not oppose it because this is this is one of his first important values so the rest of them if they contradict it, that would be interesting as well. But there's, there, it's part of the map now, uh, as as I'm as I'm considering new choices. Uh, so I'm going to move things around because I do want to end the show on time. And so allow me to introduce you to our last character here, Cars, son of Lars of House Lars. So that means my father is Lars, House of Lars of Lars, Lars Lars. So Cars uh, is a uh, uh, not from Kronos and yet part of a rising and powerful house, a new house to the Empire, the House of Lars. And I was having a look, because everyone else was picking Kronos, so I was doing a little bit of retconning just right now. So I'm somewhere out 
off of the edge of Klingon space, closer to uh, uh, Romulan and the Shackleton Expanse, a place called Clack Del Bracht. And we're as far away from Kronos as you can. We're almost a frontier colony. But what we have is the secrets of the original Romulan cloaking devices that were stolen by the Klingons in the 23rd century and have been used ever since. That's the secret that my family has, is how these cloaking devices work. Because really, the Klingons have just been using the same cloaking devices copied over and over and over again uh, ever since, with very little upgrades done over time, except for the House of Lars. We have studied and reverse engineered and broken, put in uh, improvements into cloak, and that has made our family rich. And while the Klingons don't really talk about economy so much, they try to they don't talk about money, they kind of hide it away. It's also an important part of the empire. And so this is a family that has not made its way to the great houses through military might or through political influence, but simply by having a lot of money. And they make a lot of their money by using their advanced cloaking techniques to track and capture smuggling ships that cross through between that thin band of the Klingon Empire that is near Romulan space and into the more uh, uh, lawless areas of the Shackleton Expanse, the Orion Syndicate and Ferengis and the rest of them try to smuggle their way through. It's quicker to just go right through Klingon space as fast as you can and hopefully no one will catch you. Except I'm the one that catches you. And when that happens, of course, we just that's all now Klingon property. And that's how we've we've gotten better warp ships. We've gotten better shields, better armor, uh, better weaponry, because we've just been stealing them, well, uh, uh, incorporating them and taking ownership of them when they are found to be trespassing in Klingon territory. And so I'm, in a way, my house has made its money by being border security agents and just confiscating everything. And then <laughs> turning it around, owning the patents and reselling them to the Klingon Defense Force. Which means I would imagine most Klingons don't like the House of Lars, but they have been forced to begrudgingly accept their influence and their importance in the Empire. But it is a long way from where the Klingons were a hundred years ago. And so Kars enters into our scene. And uh, from uh, from his uh, upbringing in the House of Lars, he is not the eldest. He isn't even close to the eldest. He will never be in charge of this house. So he's had to go out and make his own way. So being a member of a great house now, he took that honor and privilege and put himself right to become a technical officer in the Klingon Defense Force. And they couldn't exactly say no to me, even though I didn't really have the pedigree that the rest of them have. But what I do understand is cloaking devices, and I do understand how ships work. And when my captain didn't believe me, and, and while taking on another pirate, uh, they, uh, one of my career events, I was required to take command was what I rolled. And so I had this on, I we were once again tracking a smuggler, in this case a Ferengi ship that had crossed into Klingon territory, but the captain hadn't done a good job maintaining the equipment on the ship. And as a junior officer, it was not my station to stand up and say these things. And our ship, while in cloak, was detected by the Ferengi, and they opened fire. This tiny little dinky ship crippled our bird of prey, and uh, the bridge crew was killed in the process and the engineering crew in the more armored section of the ship survived. We were able to just barely get out of that by igniting the plasma manifold that had been uh, venting gases around the ship. We ignited that, creating a wall of fire that destroyed the Ferengi ship, left our ship crippled and adrift. And we drifted into Federation territory where we were picked up by a Starfleet vessel. 
if we had been picked up by a Klingon vessel, they probably would have just taken us out of our misery. We were so injured and weakened in that state at that point. I recuperated on a Federation ship uh, before being handed back over to the Klingons after an investigation found that the Ferengi were the ones in the wrong. This was an internal matter and Starfleet was not going to intervene in this. So we were all returned back to the Empire. And from that, though, uh, my lungs had been replaced from the uh, from the explosions in, in engineer. So I have artificial lungs now and, and a, f- a bunch of other things like Klingons wouldn't normally get this kind of treatment, but the humans weren't going to let me die. So, begrudgingly, I also had to accept that. During that time, though, while recovering in a Starfleet ship, my character fell uh, fell in love with human romance novels. And (laughs) I have, again, my whole family is all about taking things from other cultures and repurposing them to sell to the Klingons. So he has been converting historical human romance novels going back to the 21st century and turning them into Klingon opera hollow novellas which have begun to take the empire by storm. Basically, Klingon soap operas. I have invented <laughs> Klingon soap operas in the holodeck. And, uh, but, but they're all just based off of old like general hospital episodes and telenovelas and all this stuff that he's just turned in, translated into Klingon and, 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 and selling as his own. And once again, House Lars is taking in the royalties in this whole new form of entertainment. Uh, and, uh, and he continues to serve now as a chief engineer on the ship uh, with this like secret. No one knows who the author of these hollow novels are. Uh, so it's a bit of like a Banksy thing, because if people were to find out that it was Cars, son of Lars, um, he's not quite sure what they would think if they found out that he was just using human romance novels to, to make his family's <laughs> riches. Uh, so that means his daring is off the charts because he's always, you know, he's very much working against the grain of expected Klingon society. His presence, though, is quite low. He's not the one who's going to stand up and give the orders around. Uh, but my engineering is maxed out and my security is my second highest discipline. So he knows how to, like, encrypt his communications if he needs to. So no one's <laughs> going to be tracking what he's doing. He is most comfortable staying in the engineering department and making sure that the cloaking system continues to work. One of the first values that I picked out that was from the book was a sharp knife is nothing without a sharp eye. And while some Klingons might be wary about using a cloaking device in combat and they feel that they should stare their enemy right in the eye, Cars has no issues with that. If it means staying hidden until we can take one quick killing blow, that's great. He wants assured victory. And that's what's most important, not necessarily how we get there. So that is very different from traditional Klingon mentality. But traditional Klingon mentality hasn't really gotten us very far, has it? The changelings infiltrated our empire and uh, almost brought us down uh, to nothing. We have uh, been vastly weakened by the Dominion and uh, you know, maybe it's time for a new way of thinking and uh, subscribe now for a free shipment of these new hollow novels uh, coming your way. Uh, what do you mean he was his twin brother all along? So, <laughs> so that's uh, it's it, on one hand, cars comes off as being quite a like the IT guy, but then there's a section, the second bit behind it, where I I would imagine that on our ship, Groff the provider would be the first one to put it together, going, "You, you're the author, aren't you?" <laughs> Did you make your joke about, cars? Hmm? Did you make your joke about his name? Uh, cars. <laughs> oh, right, Jordan. Yeah, Cars. he's the ultimate life form, right? He's the ultimate. Well, he's the pillar of his family. 
Oh my god. Car- Cars is the pillar of his family. That's also where I came up with Lars as well. That makes sense. Oh. I know it's a tough pill to swallow, but <laughs> Justin, aye, what, aye, you, aye, aye. what you were saying about um about anything it takes to get the victory, that was part of my career path was that I had we had triumphed, but it was in a dishonorable way. And that was like, oh, that kind of shook me of how do I incorporate this? Because the idea of being valorous and honor is so important. And and victory and yet victory is also so important. It's like I mm-hmm. how do I how do I recognize how do I reconcile those two things? I was going to go into cloaking. It's funny, you and I when we build things, we, we We're very much often, in sync. Yeah. We often yeah, we have that we sync orbit and, and each other. Yeah, there's no it's not it's not overlap, it's not exact same characters, but it's like, oh, these two would either be friends or give a nod to each other yeah. when they pass. There's a lot of synergy. The way yeah. I see it, so the, our four characters all kind of run against the grain in a little bit of a different way. Uh, but of all of them, I think it's Ekros Trunzolt, Jordan's character. Both mm. of us, by the way, uh, have the same value of know your enemy, uh, which is fun. Uh, but I think you would be the one who would be in command in our game if we were to play it. And you were the one who saw I the so values of the other three characters groff and you might have background history and so you've got to bring the chef because i mean groff is the best but then these yeah. other two characters uh, uh cars and kevin um bring with them a new way of strategy and new way of thinking in a very in a time of change in the empire and if anything, Ekrost, you might not necessarily think the same way, but you recognize the pragmatism of change is coming and we can fight it or we can move with it. But you want to make sure that you're on the winning side of history. And so you exactly. need people who are willing to think outside the box. And if it comes down to honor, you will make sure that you step in and, uh, and, and advocate for the crew in that way and keep things clean, as it were. <laughs> yeah. So those are those are that that's the clue. Now the other part of the Star Trek Adventures character creation is also making the ship. We're not doing that today, uh, but that's part of like the whole crew. Players can work together to pick out their ship. It's a little less character driven, a little more just picking out cool numbers. And especially in uh, a group like this, I would imagine a bird of prey would be the one for us. We'd want cloak. We'd want warp. A small crew of like fourteen Klingons, and uh, and that's just it. We're basically like a, a U boat moving around underneath the ocean, just pinging out anyone who might trespass and, 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 and running security in the empire. Um, and then make sure you're in the mess hall every night for a good meal from Groff. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with Velvet because you and I both played a lot of Star Trek Adventures and have now made more than a couple characters in this. How did you find coming from the Living Campaign to the Klingon Core book? Um, it's very much the same uh, process, but the language is different. Uh, how did you find the changes for the Klingon Core book coming into this? I think because I have a richness of lore from the various franchises, I appreciated how the book was approached. I appreciate it. It is written for people who not only like Star Trek, but like the Klingons. And so it, it, it entices you. 
to want to develop your character as much as you, as, as richly as you want to. And you can belong to one of the historic great houses if you want. You want to be in the uh, House of Duras or Martok? Go for right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to sink yourself into that canon? Uh, also the ability to create your own, like to develop your own. Like I was already bought in and then I saw there was another, uh, I, I was looking for the ship creation actually and I came across the house creation first and I went, what, there's more? Yeah. There's bonus content The, to the house creation is brand new and one thing yeah. I liked uh, just on a design standpoint is you, there was life path in the original Star Trek Adventures book, but there wasn't a place on the character sheet for it where on the new character sheet that they've made for the Klingons, it's double sided on the back side. There is boxes for each stage in life path and a section for your great house uh, that, that can be filled in, which is nice because what was happening in our Starfleet characters is we would come up with these really cool backstories, but then we'd have to write them on, anything else there wasn't mm-hmm. space for it assigned on your character sheet and um uh and so sometimes those details would get missed or forgotten about entirely uh despite the fact that sometimes those backstories create npcs and especially in the klingon it creates a whole new politics like part of introducing cars first means introducing the house of lars and introducing you to what they have done in klingon history and then enter this little kid who is doesn't matter but only matters because of their connection to this house and is just being propped up as a trust fund kid almost uh, through this, yeah. through that privilege of this great house that it's provided. Otherwise, it would find, have just been forgotten about on the edges of Klingon society. What, what I find about, as you say, the life path, uh, the whole thing with any character generation is you want to be able to call upon this information, incorporate, weave it into the storytelling, and by now uh, making the template uh, rich enough to contain some of that detail means that it, it's not just for you, it's for the DM, it's for the other players as well. That happened in our living campaign where we were calling upon each other's connections to each other and histories and the other pe- uh, support characters we had on the ship and so in this Klingon version of it I, I'm absolutely ready to see what that call home for uh, for Kurga or for Kevin or for any like any of the support people or our characters what that kind of check-in with our houses on because they are going to have their own machinations yeah. I'm not just representing the Klingon Empire I'm also representing my house and my yes. house uh, now in this new rules has stats of their own and roles of their own and my actions will reflect on the honor of my house and that can either raise or lower their standing in the council and that you know because uh uh, klingon society isn't ruled by a president it uh, there's a chancellor but the chancellor has really a senate of great houses that all have uh, like a veto role really the chancellor must bring the houses together to vote for the future of the empire. And so it's, it's much more of a Republic than I think people realize when it comes to the Klingons, like the individual Klingons don't get a vote, but the great houses represent all the people that serve under those houses and they all work together. There isn't one Klingon. There isn't an emperor in this empire, uh, anymore. That emperor was Kalos and, and he's, and he's now just, a he was cloned and brought back, but he's, he's a figure fe- He's a figurehead. The, 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 the decisions and the power of the empire comes from these collections of houses who all work together and they all represent different 
um, ideologies. I, I, if you ever end up watching Star Trek Discovery, the first season, I thought one thing they did really cool was show how different all of the houses appeared. They all have different fashion, different regional dialects, different ship designs. Uh, this is done in a time in Klingon history before all the houses were united as a single empire. Uh, and so they're all like individual city-states. They're a little bit more like uh, ancient Greece in that way, where you've got Sparta and Athens, and they're all different, but then they have to come together in times of war and form a, a, a cohesive force. At this time in history, where we're playing probably after the next generation or during Deep Space Nine, the Klingons appear to everyone else as one empire. But inside, each of those houses are still quite independent from each other. And so playing as a character who's a member of a house, I kind of like the, that two of us are and two of us were not. Um, mm -hmm. But playing in a house, it's a little bit like thinking back to our game of masks, a superhero game where you're playing as a legacy and you've got like all the members of your legacy behind you and they've all got their own expectations for you that are beyond and above what your commanding officer or, or, or your chain of command or, or the empire itself is expecting of you. You've got like your own mission from time to time. And, and as a GM, I would con especially if houses started moving against each other and started like, maneuvering against each other like you might get missions sent to you as a player that are at odds with your crew because you're stationed with someone in a house that you're now technically at war with right and, and, I, and I think that the fact that they've incorporated it as part of the rule set means that somebody who's coming to this without that uh without having seen a lot of the shows still has access to the um to the intention yeah. Uh, this gives you another leverage point for your characters, between your characters, uh, more quests, more adventure, more yeah. story. Introducing the house rules kind of opens it up to being like, in a way, you could do a Klingon campaign that was a little bit like House of or uh, Game of Thrones, where you've got mm -hmm. different families that all have different political motivations and uh, objectives and uh, you have to make your move a little bit you know slowly like a game of chess uh, uh to you know potentially even absolve or absorb other houses into your house uh, as they might become a lesser house to become a vassal to you uh and uh, yeah it's a little bit like you could do crusader kings but with klingons which would be really cool and my last point about that, it, it also allows a little bit more accessibility for the people who are worried about, oh, I have to be the healer, I have to be the whatever, whatever the role was from other systems. Uh, in, while Star Trek Adventures already allows for an adventure of, of engineers, having that house, having another uh, category for which people can filter their experience through means they have to rely less on what the TV shows or the movies did and more on what they're trying to achieve for what the character they mm -hmm. built. So, uh, Jordan, uh, you also have yeah. made a character. We, we, we did like a trial run of this where we did Starfleet characters. Uh, and mm -hmm. so you got a, you got a taste of what this was like, but you also don't, uh, like Cassie as well, don't really have a background like Velvet and I in Star Trek, which is fine, which is really important to me doing this, is how did you find, you made this character by yourself this time, um, and it seems like you had a lot of fun making her. Um, how did you find the process? compared to other games and for a game set in a setting that you aren't really familiar with? I found it was pretty, um, it was pretty simple. 
like not not in a bad way because I, I feel like sometimes the term simple comes with a little bit of a drawback but it was it was really streamlined uh there was just enough information for me to get an idea of the world essentially but also not so much that i felt sort of over encumbered with the sheer amount of lore just thrown up at me immediately it was it was good it just felt like just this perfect sweet spot that's nice. One of the things, yeah. like, we did Life Path because that's, I think, the best way to make your first character in this game. But there are, if you flip through the pages, there's a create and play option. So if you have someone who just shows up and they don't have a character ready, you just give them a blank character sheet. You go through a couple of quick, like, this is enough to get you going. And then as you play and you need to reference other parts of your sheet that aren't filled in, you can fill in as you go. And the rules mm. kind of go through on, like, how to do it in a way so that you don't end up accidentally creating an unbalanced character who has numbers that they shouldn't have uh and so it's the same way that you make um support characters if you're in a scene where you're let's say you're playing the doctor on the ship well the doctor's not going to be in every single scene so we still want to have something a player can do so you can create a support character that is there like a, a a b story character or the red shirt in the original series who's beaming down, even though Kirk might be, uh, although Kirk was always going on in Wade missions. But you know what I mean? Like, like if you're playing a character that's only in that one scene and might even be disposable, you can make it really quickly in play. So like once you've done Life Path, I think you you get an idea for how the math works. So you could create a character just with like, okay, I've got you know, so many points to be spread across my attributes. And as long as the numbers don't go above 14, they stay above seven and it'll, it can work and you can, you can do it. But what life path does is along with showing you the math, it also shows you how it applies to the game mm -hmm. and why your attributes are where they are, which can be really helpful. And, uh, and at least for me, I thought taught me how the game played as well. Yeah, I agree, because I, I definitely in the parts of the rulebook that I was reading, it would be, for example, when I had to stand up to my superior, it was, it increases my daring, because that's a very logical leap, like you have to be brave to do that. And I, I really liked the way that that was laid out, and it all made a lot of sense, which was very useful. And like your daring went up because you stood up to a superior officer. My daring went up because I had to take command of my ship because my superior officer was taken out. And mm -hmm. so our daring are both quite high, and yet how we got there is very different. So we're both daring in a very different kind of way. And so it's a, a kind you of... You could say that we're daring to be different. What? Yeah. Uh, and then last but not least, Cassie, this was entirely new for you. You you hadn't played Star Trek Adventures. You don't really know Star Trek. Um, I know basically no Star Trek. You at came all. in cold <laughs> and you made your character this morning. Uh, so yeah. so that's fine though. So like for someone who might be even just showing up at a convention and just picking this up because it sounded cool, um, how did it feel for you coming in like that that cold? Because I feel like that's a really good test for this process as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought I was going to be overwhelmed and then was really pleasantly surprised to not be that way as I was creating the character. Um, and I, I really kind of wanted to, it's like, okay, well, I want to make a character that, uh, you know, has something to do with supporting the team, but also is quite commanding. And, I'm, you know, when, when I make a character... Um, for tabletop RPGs, I tend to do a thing where, like, this is this character, like, in terms of 
personality in a, a lot of ways is like me, but they can do things that I can't do. Like I can't exactly command a room. I couldn't exactly go up to a dude and punch him in the face and have them be afraid of me. I, could, I couldn't exactly, right? Like there's just like certain things, but in terms of like their personality, like they are, they are, you know, a way that I would like to be right. Um, and like looking at Groff, uh, their attributes, their presence is at 12. Their command is at five. Any other <laughs> character would be the captain of the ship. And yeah. Groff has all of the stats to put them not maybe just in charge of the ship, but in charge of the fleet. But they've chosen to be in charge of the kitchen. Yeah. And, and everyone <laughs> on the ship knows that the captain is in charge, but the captain still answers to Groff. Yeah. And there's still this bit of like at the end of the day, everything gets resolved in the mess hall. When it really comes Pretty down much. to it, like instead of a court yeah. martial, they would have it in the mess hall. And Groff is, you know, by just by being on the ship, becomes the um, spiritual leader in this way. You're you you guide the crew, even if you don't yeah. lead the crew. Exactly. Um, and honestly, like, I had a lot of fun, like kind of thinking that out and going, how do I make this work? And going through all of the, like the, the, the rules and attributes and things like that in the rule book that I could work into this character and really building on him. And uh, I, it was honestly, as, as Jordan mentioned earlier, honestly, really simple. And I, I like that about this, that it, it, like it doesn't need to be complex to make your character it's gentle fully fleshed out yeah yeah it 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 holds your hand but not in like a condescending way like you idiot you don't know how this game works but it's it gently brings you in like this is where you're from this is how you grew up this is what it was like when you were getting trained here's two career events and your character's done and uh, just looking at your values, and I saw you've got a well-fed belly is the key to a powerful warrior. And I would, as a GM, might suggest, what about, because you don't know much about uh, Klingons, but Velvet might enjoy this, no one goes to Stovokor on an empty stomach. <laughs> and Stovokor <laughs> is Klingon Valhalla. Oh, uh, okay. Right? That's awesome. <laughs> so if I we're going to die today, you're going to die well-fed. <laughs> All right? And you've got, uh, today is a good day to dine which I love. Nice. And revenge is a dish best served cold, an old Klingon proverb that every cook would have written above their, their station. So it's the Klingon live, laugh, love. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then eat to fight another day. And so it's, it's all like, you know, before you go into that battle that you might not come home from, everyone has a big meal. And, yeah. and, and that's your job is to, um, be the, almost the morale officer on the ship, uh, which, which I really enjoyed, uh, looking through. And so, which you've actually taken as, uh, as one of your focuses. Yep. So, so you're kind of the ship's <laughs> counselor, uh, just through food. Yeah. The <laughs> life of the food. party demanding respect. Yeah. It's good time. Honestly, for me personally, like in, in actual real life, if, food was a love language food would be my love language and if there was a boarding party that comes on board the ship woe to the invader that comes into the kitchen first because you will go john wick on them oh absolutely with with like with with your security as high as it is your fitness as high as it is like you would just start grabbing every kitchen implement and squid in the kitchen and just start throwing it at enemies and then they'd become our next meal Mm mm-hmm 
And Dorian's on the menu tonight, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I was just looking there uh, at Cassie. Your your values are really great. Uh, Kevin, you've got um, achieving glory makes the ordinary extraordinary. No unsung victories go unpunished. Uh, and I say, uh, Jordan, you've got a... Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness and uh, whatever your role, give it your all. Uh, Yeah, that's so Jordan (laughs) here in the background. Um, Now mine, the first one, a sharp knife is nothing without a sharp eye. That came right from the book. That was a suggestion for my, uh, my house because each house gives the character a value. Uh, But I had like uh, the hunter may not uh, need not be seen by the prey or never underestimate a weaker opponent. Um, And so it's all this idea of like, you know, he's got no issues turning on that cloaking device and staying until he will backstab people and consider it honorable because what matters most is he wins at the end. So uh, I guess you can tell I've been rewatching Breaking Bad. Uh, <laughs> so uh, at the end of this, as we come down, we've, we've met our characters. We've talked a little bit about character creation. I would like to know now, like obviously Velvet and I would play Star Trek Adventures more because we played so much and I don't think we got even halfway through what we wanted to do. Uh, but for, for Jordan and Cassie and, and for Velvet as well for the Klingon core book, you've met these characters do you feel like this process, do you feel like you have a connection to this character, that you own them, that you are invested in them? And most importantly, after going through this process, would you want to play this game? And that's something I want to ask in every session zero at the end uh, of this process. Uh, so we'll start in reverse. We'll start with Cassie. Uh, do you, how do you feel about this character? Do you feel that sense of ownership that this is yours and yours alone? And would you want to uh, play a campaign involving Groff the Provider? I absolutely adore this character. I, this character is, when, when I was originally coming up with the concept for this character, this is pretty much exactly where I wanted to land, and I landed there. And, I, and for like, someone who doesn't know Star Trek, I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. you have made an amazing Klingon. Um, oh, Groff, glad for that. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Groff is the kind of Klingon that I feel even Star Trek fans have a hard time uh, admitting is the core of what Klingons are all about. And uh, a lot of like fan-created Klingons tend to just be the warrior. And they miss the fact that almost every Klingon episode written is uh, is more closer to Groff than to someone like Cars. So. Yeah, uh, I would I would absolutely play Groff for sure. Like this, like he he would be such a fun character. I think to play. He presents an intriguing Groffering. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Groff giving, everybody. <laughs> Merry Groff, Miss everyone. Mm. He's feeling a little groff today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that that last pun was probably a bit of a turn groff. Um, (laughs) It's a Jordan. How do you feel about about your um, uh, Ekros Turnzolt? So my usual litmus test on how excited I am with a character is by how developed the voice is by when I show up. (laughs) <laughs> so so clearly I was very excited about her. Um, yeah, th- th- I, you come from like the northern mountains of the deepest, coldest parts of Klingon Russia. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but she, like, I, I think I actually enjoyed 
the like I, I think I enjoy having the Klingon character over the forbid like the forgotten uh, former Starfleet character that we made. Who, you do if you if you belong to a house, you do remind me a lot of the Duras sisters, uh, Lursa mm. and Bator, who showed up a lot through the Next Generation, um, mm-hmm. and they were these two sisters whose brother was killed by Worf, who he was trying to become Chancellor, and you know, like great Klingon tragedy as it is. Uh, they are mm. also the ones who successfully took down the USS Enterprise D in, in, in Star Trek Generations. Spoiler, yeah, I guess, love- but like, the movie's like 30 years old now. Uh, but they, um, it, there was a lot of, there was a lot of that scheming mm. um, in a way of, you know, you don't come from a great house, so you need to prove your greatness in other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked hearing you get into Ekrost's character because Unlike other Klingons, it doesn't sound like Ekros raises her voice much. She doesn't have to. No, well, especially because she's she's maxed out on her what presence uh, on her presence. Yeah, so I I always I'd imagine that she would be the one who would stand in the corner of a room with her hands tucked behind her back and just watches. And then makes the one statement, and then everybody in the room's like, "Oh and no!" The oh, presence no. that high. Trunzolt also is the kind like you hear of like the, um, uh, like the politician that walks into a room and everyone just feels their presence before they even see them. Trunzolt exactly. has that effect on a room, just being there, even though you're not a member of a great house. Showing up to the council chambers, even the other chancellors or the other counselors must, uh, they they must take note that you have arrived. Right. And imagine her as a custodian just being like, are you going to separate your plastics from your paper? (laughs) Hey, never underestimate the janitors. They have the keys to all the office rooms. They know all the passwords. They know all of your secrets. They've been through your trash. They know what you throw out. Uh, I feel like a Klingon custodian would be one of the most dangerous characters to betray in in, in Klingon society. They know, literally, they know where the bodies are buried. Exactly. And I love her. Immediately thought of the janitor in Breakfast Club that yeah. sees all, knows all, is, is, you know, an okay person, but definitely, like, you never want to cross them because they know too much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I also felt like Boothby. I, I know this, that's a deep cut for Star Trek, but he, he was the gardener, but he knew everything. He knew all of the students. He never forgot a name. Teacher. He knew he never, knew where they yeah. were. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, Velvet, uh, yeah, about Kevin. So I would I would tweak things on on the development because I uh, because I was kind of waffling, uh, you know, trying to look at it between the numbers and not numbers and things like that. I like the idea of the character, and I, I think what I would play up more is the trickster aspect of him. Is that he does he, not not bro necessarily like he's not a bro. It's not uh, misogyny or or any of that, but a little bit of the I have some privilege, and I like to have fun. So the idea of pranking people on the bridge is like he's he's always getting a little bit of a reprimand, but there's still a bit of a, a smirk from the captain too. Like fix fix it. But also, haha, good one. So I, w- I think I would rather lean into that side of it because I don't tend to play that kind of character, uh, you know, in, in the role-playing stuff. I do it in my own show. Uh, so so that's what I would tweak from it. Uh, I would definitely play this system. There's not even a question about that for me. Uh, I would also want to uh, – I would build in more 
uh, expectation from my house. So that, so not necessarily guardrails, but like something that checks me no matter what is I have to at least adhere to what my house needs. As a GM, I would try to send you reports from your house at the beginning of each session to give you like a a state of the union. Um, I think for me, for cars, I, uh, I, I like cars. I like, I like the whole kind of your, your Klingon is acting more like a Ferengi, uh, is, is kind of wonderful, uh, because it's this whole, like he's going to get himself killed eventually. It's, it's just going to happen, uh, because he's not um uh he's gonna turn the wrong person the wrong way uh is 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 how i feel cars has got a doomed future but also to be honest as someone who played a lot of star trek adventures i wasn't that excited when the klingon core rulebook came out i knew it was a good idea i knew it was going to be presented beautifully i knew it was going to be great for fans but for me personally playing on a klingon ship just sounds uh, a little basic a little boring uh not as uh, nuanced or as full of variety or adventure as, as i would get being on a starfleet vessel um and after having met your three characters today uh i've changed my mind <laughs> because hmm. uh, i, I Klingon ships are very different from Starfleet ships. Uh, they're very different feel. A Klingon campaign would be a very different feel. And I was just worried that a Klingon campaign would just be uh, fighting and combat and being like more of a crunchier uh, combat simulation game. But no, actually, having met like Groff and Kevin and, um, uh, sorry, Ekrost, I have to keep bringing it up on the screen because it's a, it's a little bit more of a mouthful. Uh, but uh, the, those three characters... Um, they're interesting. I want to get to know them a little bit more. I want to know, you know, more about what it's like having Groff on board and uh, and how your three characters would interact with kind of a cowardly character like Cars uh, and uh, and all of this and, and and how that might play out uh, in a time where the Empire is going through such such big changes into the future. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it would be a, a really interesting, surprising, nuanced game. And so uh, I've I've come around on it. For me, it would have been like, this is great, but I'd still rather play Star Trek on a on a Federation ship. Um, but no, I might now want to find out about this Bird of Prey and at least, if not do a full campaign, um, at least a one-shot in, in with the Klingons or a couple of sessions, like a little mini-series uh, to, mm. to do that. That might be that might be really fun. So uh, you turned me around, the three of you, with your characters. So thank you for that. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> And I mean, that's, that's a sign of a good play group, right? Like you being able to bring out, okay, well, these are all like, these are all extremely different characters. I had a similar reaction with Zombie World from Magpie Games. It's kind of thing like, ah, oh, another zombie game. I wasn't excited about it. I didn't want to really do it. And I actually played it and I played with the right people and and played that game and, and, and had these really interesting characters. It was a really fun, it's one of my favorite games now, even though it's a genre that doesn't really... Uh, ring any bells for me same thing with the Klingon thing it's not like the Klingon setting doesn't really do it for me really um but uh you're right the right chemistry at the table with the right kind of characters really willing to bring their own thing not just their take on a Klingon thing um it could be really fun and and maybe a really fun introduction to Star Trek uh because you're not wrapped up in all the same protocol of being on a federation ship uh klingons you can be a little more you can breathe a little more you can stretch a little more you can be more like a star wars game uh, if you're playing on a klingon (laughs) ship uh so so yeah uh, you can check that out there'll be a link in the show notes uh for the klingon core rule book uh, from modifius it's available now on pdf uh there's a hardcover book but you know at this time of you know year and and all that it's it's a little hard to know if the physical print 
copy is available in your area. And uh, all of the character sheets that we've made in this episode, I will be posting uh, on our Patreon page as a reward for supporting the show. And if you would like to support our show, uh, you can check out more at patreon.com slash Terrible Warriors. It is the reason why Terrible Warriors is still around and is making its return. So thank you for everyone who stuck through with us for this past year. Uh, at the end of this month, I will be doing a private game with uh, with some of our Patreon supporters who are part of our uh, private game, the Terribly Important Patreon Club, and they will be um, uh, joining us in a game that we have presented this month. So they might not just be playing Klingon, they might be playing the other games that we have yet to do, uh, and we'll use the characters that have been generated in these episodes. Uh, uh, so so someone might end up playing Groff the Provider uh, after all, Cassie. And uh, Someone uh, please do, because that <laughs> we'll would be make sure me, to I, give I you just... feedback. I really want to see how somebody else handles him because that, that I mean, I don't know. That's exciting to me. Yeah. yeah. I want to see that happen. Please, someone play Groff. Yeah. So you can find all that on our Patreon page. And uh, and f- in the show notes, there's a template to the role up to the playroll.com template for the character sheets. If you have joined up with role and you would like to use, I've already made the sheets uh, for you. So uh, you can you can get in. Please give me some feedback. Let me know how that goes. And uh, and that's it. Follow us on Twitter at terrible at Dice Warriors. And uh, so terrible warriors was taken by someone else so at dice warriors on twitter uh and our discord channel there's a link to it on our homepage at terriblewarriors.com where you can join us uh and and give me feedback let me know if you enjoy session zero uh, if there's other formats you'd like me to do if there's other shows you'd like me to interview and we will be announcing uh, shortly on twitter what our next game will be here on our session zero series so thanks for joining through with this this was this was fun this felt really good i i like i like how this is going and and i want to see if we can do some more of these um, uh, so thank you for my roundtable for joining us, my proud Klingon warriors, uh, bringing yeah. glory to the Empire, uh, <laughs> has been uh, around the table. Jordan. Hello. Or goodbye, I guess. Uh, goodbye for now. <laughs> and Velvet Duke. Uh, yeah, I'll see you online. Uh, I, look me up if you want to play. Yeah, any plugs? Uh, on the Velvet Duke page on Facebook, I do a, a weekly improvised album of songs based on audience uh, suggestions called Crooner. Uh, that's the main one that I want to plug today. And of course, Cassie. That's me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm on Twitter. You can I don't know, come check out what I'm doing with Dice. It's been fun and interesting. I've been taking notes. That's uh, D20 Loves Dice. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram all are, yeah, D20 Loves Dice. Come check it out. It's been a little bit slower because the weather is getting colder and I work in the garage. But but I've been like learning and taking notes and it's been really fun. So Someone get out. D20 Loves Dice a space heater. Hey, I'm, work, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, until we meet again next time, Terrible Warriors, thank you for joining us. Thank you for bearing through our growing pains as we figure out what our new show is going to sound like. And until we meet again, glory to the Empire and be good to each other. Bye. Bye. Bye.